You're listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And we've got Isaac in our headphones, fact-checking and running streaming games of his game Mouse Ritter over Yay! the week, which is fantastic. Because Emmy Mouse award Ritter is nominated the- Mouse Ritter. Fucking- <laughs> yeah, Now, did you say Emmy or Emmy? I, I, I don't even know if it's any, any, <laughs> any award. He's won all Not- of them. We've got Isaac not in our headphones fact-checking. He's too busy playing games of Mouse Ritter. If you haven't seen it, um, Isaac has this amazing RPG called Mouse Ritter where you just, it's like, it's just D&D, but you play mice and they're cute and the spells are fucking amazing and the inventory, like I've used the inventory in my own D&D campaign because it's so fucking good. The whole thing is amazing. Let's put more links to that sort of shit in the the show notes. And it's so unfortunate that Isaac absolutely can't say anything right now about it. (laughs) 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 Yeah, we're screaming in our headphones. Oh, you're too kind. (laughs) (laughs) Also, also, everyone's inside and has no excuse not to buy it. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It's fucking, it's amazing, and the art is fucking gorgeous. That's just, and Isaac did all the art. Isaac is a gorgeous art maker, as well as the fucking the wrangler of truths on this fucking chuckle fuck podcast that we do. It's Mitch, Evie, Lang, McLean, and Isaac, the talented one. Yeah. <laughs> we don't tend to do a lot of like sponsored ads on yeah. this podcast, but we but are going to um- be charging Isaac for this. <laughs> We're not even sponsored now. We're just proud of our friends. <laughs> if you have trouble facing the grim realities of the 21st century, maybe escape into an RPG about mice. <laughs> <laughs> Getting eaten by hawks. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, to kick off the bad news for this week, (laughs) sorry, I didn't mean to do it that way, but look, not going to lie. Well, it's not good news. (laughs) Not going to lie. The news has been kind of grim lately, and Mm. a particular signifier of that is that on Friday, Food Bank Victoria had a line that stretched four city blocks in the city, and it was a hazard so much so uh, that the police had to shut the food bank down. Uh, Some might say- Had to. Had to, had to, Toasted. had to. Hmm. A hazard, they say. Yes. Uh, actually, it, I think the line was stretching back to the Westgate Bridge, which is a long way, <laughs> like to the entrance to the Westgate. Oh, God. I just imagine being the poor police officer who showed up and sort of just being like, oh, fuck me, all these stopped cars, someone's going to get hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> someone's got to get these cars moving ASAP. This is dangerous. And just as some background, the food bank has been running nonstop, obviously, this entire pandemic since March last year. Um, it's staffed by incredible volunteers um, and you can donate money to the food bank as well so that it can supply people in need. But obviously this week seems to be a signifier of how dire things are getting in Victoria with people not mm. being able to get something as basic as food. It's mm. It's not even a symptom of how dire things are in Victoria. Like, I mean, obviously, the fact that the line was really lo- long is a, is a symptom of how dire things are in Victoria. But the fact that it was shut down is just a symptom of how fucking bullshit the police are. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. They simply didn't have to do that. They could have helped. Yeah. I mean, they, they could have direct- just like, close it. See, it's funny that you mention that because, like, a lot of the justification for the existence of police is things like, but what about traffic controls? Like, well, yes, traffic control yeah. can exist as a separate identity that is not the police. You could have traffic control. Yeah. Oh, no, the food bank line's got too many cars in it. If only we had a force of people who were trained at controlling traffic <laughs> and who were sort of charged with the protection and safety of the community to help out. Oh, here they are. They've shown up. Wonderful. What's their attack? Oh, 
just just gonna shut it all down. Don't do that. That's the solution. Thanks, police. <laughs> Real glad you're in the community. It's also such well, a like it's such a interesting and terrible comparison to countries uh, in Southeast Asia where during the like the height of the pandemic, when people had to stay home and not even be able to grocery shop, the government themselves delivered fresh food to their doors. Mm. Right? Yeah, they're relying on charities like oh, Food Bank Victoria can sort it out, but not if they're doing the only work in the entire fucking city then it's a hazard then we've got to actually shut it down well what's the contingency plan in that instance what do you mean we've shut it down there's no more hazard job's done yeah that's the thing this is a hazard that has been created by the government the hazard being starvation um and and this is what people are doing here is attempting to you know not die it'd be like if there was a huge flood and people were putting sandbags outside the house and the cops were like these sandbags are in the way of the footpath yeah no shit dude there's A flood. Like, this is an emergency. We're doing emergency response. Um, yeah. Now, look, I I don't know a thing about traffic or the situation out there. Maybe it was horrendously unsafe. The Westgate Bridge is a major thoroughfare. But what needs to happen there is they go, look, we're going to have to change how this is done and get this food happening somewhere else. But fucking obviously that would require a government that wanted people to not starve. Uh, yes. And police who are interested in helping. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. You don't need a government response when the line is long at the food bank. You don't need Dan Andrews to step in. You just need the police to not fucking shut it down, and you need the police who are like, "Oh, I'm genuinely concerned that it's actually a safety issue, rather than just something that's happening that's slightly outside of my zone of comfort." So I need to stop it at any fucking cost to to step in and just be like, "Right, clearly the cars are going onto the Westgate." Let's make it so that that queue turns left instead of right at the point that, you know, a fucking dude at Woolworths can do that when the line for the checkout's getting too long. Why can't the the entire police force do that? Anyone. Also, like, just even in terms of, like, a governmental response, the obvious answer is, well, food banks don't just need to be that one spot in the city. If Mm. the government cared about that in any sort of significant way, they would say, hey, look, uh, the CBD is ravaged by the fact that coronavirus means that no businesses want to be in the city now. So here's a bunch of empty blocks. Let's put separate locations for people to pick up food for their families and the government Mm. can supply money for that. But of course, that would be too coherent a response. This is sounding a lot like socialism. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) That was such a good point, Lang, that you made about the the, the sandbags, that people trying to act as though, like, you know, there's not a crisis on when there's a crisis Mm. on. Yeah. That's so pervasive as well. I see, Mm. like, arguments on Twitter in response to the pay people to stay home, like, thing. When, when people say, like, oh, you know, Dan Andrews, we need, you know, support for people who are caused to stay at home by, you know, quarantine or, or lockdown or whatever. And and people hop in there being like, actually, welfare is the responsibility of the federal government. Mm. That's like, cool. so what? <laughs> yeah. The Victorian government has a bunch of money. The Victorian government has access to logistics. They could step in. They're not stepping in. Oh, it's not my responsibility. Like, mm. what? There's a crisis. There's a state of emergency on. What the fuck's the matter with you? Just chip in when you can. Uh, I will say that, yes, it is a federal responsibility to give as much money as possible to pay people to stay home. But that's where it ends. The government, like the the state government still has the ability to organise logistics to do stuff like fresh food, like redirect it from like, you know, even corporate mm. places. There's it, Those things mm. are available. And we've seen like logistics come into play in ramping up like, you know, vaccination in Victoria. Victoria. Victoria's spun it up remarkably quickly, especially AZ for um, all ages, not being teenagers. Yeah. Um, so it's possible. 
Right, exactly. It's possible. Yeah. It's the federal government's responsibility. They're not doing it. So let's look at who can mm-hmm. and also blame them if they don't. And now it's, yeah, like, come on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this idea of going back on like, oh, it's, it's not my responsibility. It's like, well, then do something that's out of your scope of responsibility. Try. We'll fix yeah. it up later. If it's a legislative issue, I reckon we can ad hoc do some stuff around it. And then later we can go, oh, let's just fiddle with that a little bit to make sure it's okay. Because it's a fucking crisis yeah. and people need to get food. Yeah, they're not saying, oh, you're failing to live up to your responsibility. They're saying, hey, there's an obvious place that you could help. Yeah. And you'll be like, well, it's not my responsibility to help. Fuck mm. you. <laughs> you know what it is. It's an extreme, an extreme situation requires an extreme solution, obviously. Mm. It's nobody's responsibility to help ever, because if somebody's just doing their responsibility, that's not really helping. Mm. That's just doing their responsibility. Like, help means going, you know, doing the extra. It's the philosophy of I don't hold a hose. Oh, you know. <laughs> Yeah. This is this is it's it's the opposite of I'm just doing my job. It's I'm just not doing someone else's job. I'm just not doing a job that needs to be done. Yeah, I, I hate to take work away from the food bank, Victoria volunteers. I wouldn't do it to them. It's the climate crisis where mm. they're just like, oh well, Australia's meeting its international responsibilities, and we'll all die, but at least we met our responsibilities. Like d- maybe if you're using that as your excuse, the assignment of responsibilities is wrong, and you should revisit that. You know, urgently, so that people don't starve. It's business as usual. At the crux of this all, uh, and this is something I feel that really needs to be hammered home, um, the average comfortable person who still has a full-time salary um, would be like, why why is this current situation somehow worse than where we were last year during lockdown too? You know, someone who's completely removed from any understanding of anyone else around them would probably say that, or perhaps an international listener. Uh, The problem being, of course, is that we don't have any financial support for people this time around. JobSeeker uh, is as punitive as ever and JobKeeper is non-existent. The federal payments for welfare are just so punitive and impossible to get by any regular means. Yeah, I mean, obviously some people can access them and those payments do exist, but they're like means tested to shit. Yes. Obviously you need to go through Centrelink mm. to access them, which is you know <laughs> its own nightmare. Yeah, we are, but- like we've got friends who have been on the phone to Centrelink unable to get through um, mm. who are newly unemployed in this current situation. There was a COVID outbreak at Mall and Centrelink because people are having to go in to plead that they need money to avoid going out to get COVID. Yeah. Just, yeah. just pay people. Why are people going physically into Centrelink? Yeah. Just <sighs> because their online system is fucked. And when they get there, they're then told to either call up or use the online system. And then when they get to their online system, it's overloaded and they have to go into a fucking Centrelink. It turns out when you hamstring by design the online and phone systems for Centrelink so that people are forced to go in and beg for money, um, that in a pandemic, that's not the ideal way to do things, uh, funnily enough. And, yeah, like, weird. look, th- there are, like, state government payments for testing and for, like, you know, staying in isolation and stuff, and that remarkably is much easier <laughs> to get, uh, mostly because it's not through Centrelink. Um, but, and it's only for a day. And it's only, yeah, it's only a short a short-term payment. It's not an ongoing payment. Um, And just talk to anyone who was on JobSeeker or JobKeeper last year when there was increases. The quality of life just generally increasing and the ability to stay the fuck home. And that's just not available now. It's really weird. Yeah, it's it's because the the government at every level just fundamentally believes that welfare is bad. They think that people should fend for themselves and sort of any 
contribution towards actually helping is like, nah, we're, you know, we're, we're making things worse a bit, though, by giving things to people. This is the, the, the story that came out this morning. This is another food kitchen that, that, that got shut down by the government, um, or at least they're, they're, they're trying to. This is in uh, South Australia. There's a, a communist soup kitchen that just ran once a week. And uh, they got paid a visit by the chief executive of the South Australian Department of Human Services personally to, to tell them to shut it down because she was worried that it was just creating a situation of dependence. They're like, oh, you know, you're Fuck. giving people food and uh, that's going to make them dependent on food. That <laughs> it know, is that fucking gonna... that dude from Mad Max that doesn't want his subject to, to get fucking addicted to water. Yeah, do don't become, become addicted, addicted to, to the communist soup. <laughs> do not. Food will take hold of you, and you will resent its absence. Yeah. The story's so bad. She comes in. She identified herself as Lois, and she said that she was from the Department of Human Services. Later, the group discovered it was Lois Boswell, the chief executive. <laughs> she has a heart what? made of ash. Fuck off. That that is the most important thing in her day. The chief of human services in South Australia in a pandemic year says, I gotta get myself down there and shut down this soup kitchen. Not <laughs> I gotta make sure vaccines are getting out there. Not I gotta make sure, you know, people are getting fed and have access to the human services they need. No. no I gotta commies. stop people eating lest they become addicted to soup. Maybe she didn't go all the way down there because it's pretty plausible that she was nearby. Yeah. The, uh, the, the organizer of the soup kitchen uh, also observed that she's a part owner of a pub that's around the corner. <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> Fuck maybe off. they're trying to get the poor people away for a different reason. Who knows? Who uh, knows? See, all these things just like, I, I always just think, how much can people bear? Like, <clears throat> last year was pretty bad. I remember, like, you know, okay. That's not true. I don't remember a lot of the second lockdown. I blanked <laughs> a lot of it out. I've memory hold uh -huh. so much of it. Um, but thanks, I, alcohol. <laughs> so many substances. Anyway, um, <laughs> redacted, redacted. <laughs> but yeah, like I remember it being to the point where people were feeling desperate, but still financially like supported up to a point. Mm. Whereas now there is nothing and it's it feels like almost like a frog boiling situation where people are like, how much can people possibly bear? How many mm -hmm. sort of um, financial uh, setbacks as well as just emotional, just things on your psyche can you possibly take? Yeah, mm. like I am fine for rent and food and I'm struggling. Um, I, I'm sure we're all struggling, but... Can you imagine oh, being in this situation? I've had so many menti beasts. Yeah. Like being in this situation and not knowing if you're going to be homeless. Uh, it's, I, I can't imagine it. It's, it's, it's horrible to contemplate. And, and it's clearly the case that a lot of people who are in charge of actually distributing resources and the, the response to the pandemic are not contemplating that. No, that's true. They're just like, well, get a job. They're even further away from, you know, Lois Boswell has never been remotely close to being homeless or starving, I assume. And the best that people get is often, oh, call Lifeline. Okay, does Lifeline deliver food? Because if that's your problem, that's not going to help. Uh, well, I mean, then Lifeline would be creating a dependence on on food. Mm. Like, we're going to have to avoid <laughs> that at all the moment, we're, we're concerned. We're probably thinking we should shut down Lifeline because it's creating a dependence on suicide prevention services. <laughs> it's just fuck. Doesn't Woolworths create a dependence on food? <laughs> no, because you pay for it. <laughs> but they also make money out of it, so it's okay. No, Woolworths creates a dependence on pokies, Lang. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look. 
But we are seeing the results of all of this fuckery from the governments because unlike this time last year, there are fucking heaps of anti-lockdown protests happening at the moment as well. And I mean, this is a fucking sticky wicket of a situation if I do say so myself. Um, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of British World War II documentaries where these <laughs> the historians are just like, oh, I, 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 whenever I see this movement, I'm just so steamed by the Nazis, mm. which is just fantastic. Um, but- Tom Tanaki covers all of this shit really well. We've got some links to his stuff in the uh, in the show notes. But the big takeaway for me is always that these type of economic pressures really get people scared and worried and they are fully susceptible to conspiracy theory bullshit. And when they're susceptible to that, they're then susceptible to fucking white supremacists and neo-Nazis. And the protests that happened yesterday in Victoria, the protests that have been happening for the last couple months in Victoria, have been used by neo-Nazi groups in Victoria and other states to try to grab the most susceptible in those protests to bring them on board to like the National Socialist Network and shit like that. Like, they've been, they're getting so brazen with this shit that they're putting up white nationalist stickers and like advertising their websites and shit because people are so desperate that they will go out there and be like, oh, I'm not a neo Nazi and there's some bad actors in this group, but ah, look, it's more important than all that. We've got to come together. And that could be stopped by the fucking government just going, hey, here's enough to live and here's some stability. Yeah, there were lots of families with kids at yesterday's protest, which is, it says a lot about how much this has escalated. It's the thing I was saying, like, about desperate situations drive people to do desperate things. And Mm -hmm. if this is the only way that, you know, people who have lost their livelihoods, their, you know, entire sort of life plans um, that feel like they can be noticed by the government, then, yeah, of course they're going to join it regardless of who else is in the rally. Like, I've I've got acquaintances who have fallen into this web and before lockdowns happened, I did try to, like, you know, make an effort to be in person with them and, like, say, look, you know, mm. the kind of things that you're listening to they want to tell you this because you're afraid right now. And, you know, try to have – I've I've definitely tried to have those conversations, but it got to the point where one of them was sharing Avi Yemeni vi- videos yesterday on Instagram, and I was like, well, that one's gone. Can't do anything about that one. A lot of the protections against people falling down these really dark holes is – um, is often having a supportive community which has other values. Like if you talk to your friends regularly and they're saying, oh, I'm starting to suspect the world might be flat or, you know, vaccines aren't real, you can be like, oh, look, maybe here's some other stuff. You know, they're surrounded by people reinforcing a view that is, you know, less insane. Um, they'll go along with that. But when you're isolated, when you're in lockdown, the mm. situation becomes so much worse because we're oh, all man. just looking at screens. One we're all I- just falling down holes. The person I was talking about um, just fell real deep into a Facebook hole. Um, right. And of course, the mm. algorithm served one thing after the other. And like, you know, before you know it, they're in telegram groups and that sort of thing. And it's like, what can you do after a certain point? Mm. Because everything is designed to entrap them in that way. And if they don't have those systems in place at the start to help them out, that's it. They're vulnerable. This is something I've seen a bunch of that I did want to sort of 
address as well is um, a lot of people talking about like cult deprogramming and conspiracy deprogramming stuff have been, you know, posting and sharing a bunch of stuff about like, you know, anger is not the solution to these things. If you if you go full on at these people and just shout them down and argue with them and the people in your life, it, you can just isolate them instead of bringing them out of these sort of things. And so what you should do instead is come at them with curiosity and you should, you know, shut down their bad ideas when they bring Mm. them up, but do it with a sense of like love and listening and openness and curiosity so you can bring them back so that they Mm. know that they're supported. To which I say, that sounds like an awful lot like the job of a fucking therapist, which I'm not and I do not have the time for. (laughs) What that sounds like is that we need a society that is opening and welcoming of these people and that supports them enough so that they can bring themselves back. This isn't something that you can fix by just going very gently into one or two people's DMs being like, hey, what's going on? Hey, what do you reckon of this? What if you just come back to normality? Because they've got 19 other people being like, yeah, this is a fucking pandemic, blah, blah, blah. But they don't fall into those fucking holes to begin with if they already feel supported, if they already feel like they have a community that supports them, like you said, Lang. But how do you get a community that supports you? Mm. It's not just talking to your neighbour. It's about having fucking good public transport, good health services and education within walking distance of fucking supermarkets. This is a larger structural issue. This is a bigger thing. This is a real... Sun Tzu, you know, like uh, the best way to to solve this problem is to not have that problem in the first place (laughs) situation where it's like, yeah, I mean, obviously we all want public transport and stuff, but we we also do have people falling into the, you know, neo-Nazi pipeline now. Uh, how, 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 you know, y- y- I don't think you can just say, oh, we need, you know, yeah. a systemic approach because we don't have access to the levers of the system. But I'm saying the personal, the personal levers that we have access to will not do anything. Yeah. yeah. So if you're ag- if you're agitating to bring these people back, you need to agitate politically. You can't do it personally. It's bullshit to go, Evie. Why didn't you talk to your <laughs> acquaintance more and bring them back? It wouldn't have sure, fucking worked. Isn't that the thing that people are saying that like the people who do do that say that that's the thing that does work? Yeah, that's what. So Mitch is saying basically like they they suggest that it works, but that can only work in very separate circumstances because you can't rely on everyone to be a therapist for their fucked up friend when they're like gone into like deep into the cult. Like the way I think about it, my my mate lost their job. Um, during every single lockdown, has no other way of getting income. The way in which their job is set up is basically they don't get any sort of income support. They're not eligible for job seeker. Um, they don't have any income. So every time they get let down by the government, of course they're getting reinforced that, yeah. you know, this is a pandemic and blah, blah, blah. Like they were already toying with these sort of views beforehand and I was able to have those conversations and say hey that is a thing that is encouraging you to feel fearful when there are other ways forward and they were receptive to that and it really it drives me crazy because it really makes me feel like if it wasn't for their situation the pandemic they would not have gone down this hole and it's devastating I think that's so the case for so many people yeah the idea is the ideas of deprogramming and stuff come from a time before we're all trapped inside in, your, in a pandemic yeah. in these telegram groups. So you can deprogram a person when yeah. they've come out of it, like it's a family member and you can help one of yes. them. But we're talking about such bigger issues yeah. and so, well, such bigger bigger systemic problems. Cult deprogramming, like in the, uh, in the isolated sense, cannot deal with something like QAnon where it is global. Th- that's, it, it just sounds very defeatist, right? That's just like, well, you know, like 
sort of deprogramming works in a one-on-one situation. But we have, you know, more than one, so it's too late. No, I think it's important to still do it. But I think a lot of what we try is still going to be impeded by the fact that there is no structural change. Like, of course, like I would still continue to try doing it. And if like, you know, if I see any of my mates go down that path, I'd be like, what the fuck? Mm. And, you know, and like try to try and, you know, get there in a kind and, you know, welcoming way. But there's only, yeah, yeah, there's only so much you can do. Just don't be defeated when it doesn't work. It's because it's, it's probably not going to. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like it's 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 not the case. Like you can sort of draw whatever you know um, criticisms you want of of you know. Oh, you need to approach the sort of deprogramming with with warmth, warmth and curiosity rather than anger and disgust. Yeah, the fact that that's not fixing the sort of society scale problem doesn't mean that you know considering the circumstances, considering the different circumstances of COVID and stuff, now anger and disgust is actually a more effective approach than warmth and curiosity. It's like that that advice still applies. No, 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 no. Definitely not. So Definitely no. Not. You also shouldn't be a fuckhead. Like that's that's <laughs> different. Don't be don't be a cockhead. You yeah. that just don't think that you're going to deprogram people because yeah. of the huge situations that you've got. But by all means, you don't have to just start online arguments with people you've been friends with for 15 years. Like, no. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> saying you're you're probably not going to be pulling these people back because every time that you do something that, like, gets, you know, one point in the deprogramming column, something is going to happen systemically that gives a plus 15, and then all the other people that they're still talking to because they haven't distanced themselves from those Telegram groups is going to give them a plus five. And so your little bit is just not... It's, it's, it's the same thing as the... It like, sounds like you're just saying the problem is difficult. So it's the, the thing is, it's like saying, turn off your light bulbs to fix climate change. Right, but the problem with turn off your light bulbs to fix climate change is that there are a small group of people who are personally responsible, which is not the case for the radicalization of the alt-right. I would disagree. There are, there are definitely people who are targeting these certain people because it's not everyone at these lockdowns who are becoming alt-right. I think you guys are arguing slightly separate things. I think, Mitch, you're saying, obviously, you, you can't fix this problem by deprogramming people individually. Um, and McLean is saying it's worth trying. And I think, obviously, if there's someone close to you that you feel like you can talk to that does listen to you and trust you, yes, absolutely, try to reach them and and try to bring them out. We're not going to fix this pro- program entirely by relying on that because the systemic issues are always there and are always bringing more people in. And I think that's what you're both saying. Yeah. It, the, the two things are not exclusive. Yeah. And absolutely, like with all of these things, look after the people around you um, as much as you can and understand that then you can also work on these systemic issues. Yeah. Um, and I think the key thing here, and something Tom Tanaki said quite well about these protests, is these are a lot of these people. Yes, there are a couple of just shithead Nazis and anti-vaxxers who are using these legitimate frustrations and grievances of large sections of the population to recruit them into these horrible... Uh, they're the radicalizing agents recruiting people into these horrible mindsets. But a lot of these people are out there because they're desperate and they're looking for answers. Um, They see that the government is trying to kill them. They see that nobody gives a shit about them. They see that things are very wrong, but they don't quite, they haven't quite put the pieces together as to why. Maybe they haven't got the background in political understanding. Maybe they haven't been surrounded by the right people who've been talking about about the right things. Maybe they've just been watching Sky News 24-7 and they've got the wrong information from that. So what can be 
um, another way to solve this at the systemic level. Obviously, we have to solve the underlying issues, but a solution can be to help people see what those issues are and say, you want to be angry? You want to protest? Fuck yes, let's do that. Yeah. Let's not protest against the vaccine and the lockdown. Let's protest against the lack of welfare. Let's get you angry about the right things. Let's yeah. get yeah. you radicalized on the right side. Yeah. Not the, the right wing side, but the <laughs> left side. <laughs> yeah. That's something I always go back to is like the fucking, the, the guy at the Reclaim Australia rally like six, seven years ago now who was worried about a halal tax telling me that he's scared of the halal tax because mm. it's coming in and it'll, pri- it'll bump up the price of Vegemite. And if a pre- Vegemite goes up, I can't send my kids to school with lunches mm. properly. That's like, <laughs> so you're not worried about Muslims. You're worried about the fucking government. Again, like, you're 100% right. Like, solidarity is a big mover in both these, like, lockdown protests, but also in left movements. And, like, it's reifying to have a community. It is, is, like, it feels safe to have people go, yeah, 100%. And a big thing that neo-Nazis and conspiracy theorists do, and a big thing that leftists need to do more of, is go, yeah, totally. Here's here's how to fix it. As opposed to, Mm. nah, fuck you. So, like, yeah, don't be a dickhead. But also just know that you're up against various factors. But, yeah, Lang, you're, you're 100% right. It's the positive force that, you know, that a leftist approach could have, which is that you are being done wrong by the government mm. and, you know, mm. structural inequalities. Um, and it's not just you that needs help, but also the people mm. around you. And all of you can ask agitate for change in a way that helps all of you and supports all of you yeah. rather than anything that is like based on fear. Also, some of these people at the lockdown protests are willing to like go toe-to-toe with cops. Like, they're, they're, yeah, we need that type of energy <laughs> yeah. in the fucking union movement. Come on, guys. They're right there. Some of them are willing to go toe-to-toe with cops because, you know, they're terrible people. But some of them, nah. Well, I think that's maybe just the, the sort of the situation that we just, oh, the left needs more terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> we need people just to we grit our teeth and have dirty solidarity with like, ah. <laughs> just because we're the good guys doesn't mean we all have to be the good guys. <laughs> we need, yeah, we need protest berserkers to send out to the front lines. Like, there goes Ralph at it again, <laughs> just going ham on the barricades. I think it's it's like they say these these revolutions always happen when you have a lot of unemployed young men who have all that bloody testosterone and are angry and stuff. You've just got to find them and make sure they're angry about the right things. Like they're angry because the government is fucking them up and they are prime for radicalization and they will be radicalized by something. They can be radicalized by Nazis or incels or they can be radicalized by socialists. Um, and I think we all know which of those maybe is the one that we should be working on. It's just difficult because some of these people really do have such horrible ideas. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, th- I think it's like there's... there's that means that of, they've already know, been a bit radicalised already by Sky News. Got, everyone's been a bit radicalised yeah. already. It's, it's, it's radical times. Yeah. You know, I think that we, uh, you know, this is me sort of talking to myself more than anybody, need to learn to sort of hold our noses and, and sort For of sure. overlook some level of like things that we'd really disagree with because it, it, it like, I don't, I don't want to say, you know, Oh sure. You know, let's accept every racist and transphobe and, and blah, blah, blah into the movement. But it is like, if we do have this sort of purity of ideology approach, that's like, Oh, but you're problematic for X, Y, Z reason. You have this particularly disgusting view. I'm not going to talk to you at all. Like, 
it, that that's what I want because I don't want to talk to people that you know have you know that hate me etc. But it, mm. it seems like the alternative is loss. That's the dirty part of dirty solidarity. Yeah. Mm. Look, this is a this is this is this is basically um, the 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 struggle that every fucking leftist podcast has had for the last five years trying to figure out who's actually the most left. And <laughs> I personally wish you not participate in the best leftist games. I mean, I'm someone who struggles to talk to somebody for reasons of like, I haven't known you for many years. So <laughs> that's my cutoff. I would say this has been the problem of leftist podcasts throughout history. Uh, like, you know. <laughs> look, Soviet Catholic Russia. was just one big podcast. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of um, solidarity with your communities, fucking give parents a break. Oh my god, I just feel oh like my god. I, I really wanted to talk about this today because I. This may be a controversial opinion, I feel, but I sometimes <laughs> feel like society doesn't treat children like people. And they yeah. and when we talk about boomers wishing that kids would be seen and not heard, I don't think it's just boomers. I just think as we approach like a society where people feel less compelled to have children, I also think they're less considerate of how children are just kids and just how they interact with the world. Um, I don't. Yeah. I don't even think it's that. I think it's the capitalist thing. Kids get in the way of the machines of yeah. industry. We have <laughs> to keep them out of the way. Absolutely. Mm. And, and like, so the the reason why I bring this up now is because uh, much like the second last, uh, second lockdown last year, um, playgrounds have been closed during this lockdown in Melbourne due to fear of transmission. I don't know yet whether it's actually still being confirmed yet. I don't like it was allegedly there were two kids that were like you know walking together from a playground who potentially transmitted it between each each other. Um, mm. It's still not widely confirmed yet, and childcare has now been shut down for everyone now except for essential workers. Now I don't know about anyone else on this podcast, but every parent I know. And like I'm in my 30s, so there's a lot of new parents as well. Mm. Has been going mm. completely insane at home, trying to do mm. full time work and raise children at the same time. Childcare being the one way, like even childcare being horrendously expensive as it is, um, trying to manage that. And with childcare now gone, you can't you can't do it. And again, last year they paid people to stay home so people could take leave, look after their kids help with schooling, do all sorts of things like that. And now we have this awful situation where neighbours are getting really upset at kids being kids in apartment blocks and, or even, even in their backyards. Oh, and, and in the last lockdown, childcare was also free. So it wasn't like a, like one of those massive expenses. Yeah, well, when people say pay people to stay home, it includes that sort of shit. It's not just give me money to stay home. It's support people to stay home properly and to support everyone who can has to go out and not be a oh, fucking... It's just, ah, we did it already. We did <laughs> it know. 12 months ago. This is the insane part. Yeah, it's not even like we tried nothing and it hasn't worked. Yeah. It's like we tried the solution and it did work. Yeah. What else should we try? <laughs> like that again. Yeah, we don't want to do <sighs> it again. What's the matter with you? And, and like, see, and like, this is just my personal bugbear with like people who rail against, you know, heterosexual society and like, you know, compulsory heterosexuality. Turns out a lot of gay couples have children too. Like, it's not necessarily like, you know, a mum and a dad. 
sad. Lots of people are affected by this. Lots of different families. Families are very diverse these days. It takes a village to raise children. Don't fucking snitch on children. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, just like this, this is just a very brief detour for a personal bug. There, if you live in an apartment building, hey, congratulations, you live near other people. Like mm. that's that's what high density living is. Yeah. I say that as someone who lives in an apartment myself. You, if someone's having a party, let them have a party because people are allowed to have parties. Obviously, not right now. We're in lockdown, mm-hmm. but like generally speaking. You live near other people. Yeah. You're going to yeah. hear people. <laughs> Shut up. Moving into a house above a fucking live music venue and then complaining about the noise. Well done, fuckhead. Yeah. It's like, if you live in an apartment building, there's some kids there. They're going to be loud. If you don't want to be near kids, move to the country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, you know, you can't be putting up with people being dickheads and, and partying at 4am on a Wednesday, but there is there is an allowable and and expectable level of society that we should be in. And I, I want to bring this back to the capitalism thing again, where Margaret Thatcher killed society, um, <laughs> is this thing that we've we've tricked ourselves and we've been tricked by media and advertising and capitalism that we can all exist in little separate boxes um, and, and nobody interferes with anybody else. You're in your little box with your house and your family and your friends um, and then you get in your own car and you go to work and then you come home and and if you come across another person or they get in your way at any point, that is a, a weird upset to your day. It's a coincidence. It's a coincidence. And your kids go off to school and they interact with other kids and then they come home. But while you're at work, you never see another child and you never see another person's child. And kids exist in schools until they emerged fully formed as functional, healthy members of society. And then they go off and get a job. And that's not healthy. That's not the way that human society has ever existed before. Like, in, in a lot of societies in the world, you have multi-generational families. You have, you know, kids hanging out around people who are working. You're in a town. Kids aren't a minority. They're not a freak of nature. They're small humans learning how to be adults who are then going to join society. And by the time they get there, they need to know how things work. <laughs> well, I suppose there's one lesson that we're giving children that they will take on correctly into adulthood, which is that society hates you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are an obstacle until you can create value for bosses. Yeah. And even then you remain an obstacle, but now you're at least creating some value. Yeah. And this this thing of how currently parents are expected to be working from home, because obviously you've got to keep working, we have to maintain the nexus. Um, and children are expected to be homeschooling from home. Hang on. But the whole reason we had children going off to school was so that they'd be out of the way of the parents who were trying to work. Now you've got parents working and homeschooling at the same time, but not getting additional support for that. How the fuck are you expecting this to work? This can't work. And any parent out there will tell you that this is hell and it's hell for the teachers as well, um, but for a different reason. Um, And no one in government went, hang on, this isn't something we can just do for two years. People now are working two jobs, basically. Um, I'm really, I'm going to talk about all sorts of factors here. I'm really worried about the development of infants and young children, like under 12. These are prime developmental years where you're meant to be going out and talking to people and interacting with people and experiencing the world. And you're stuck in one house with two people who are working full time. (laughs) I'm really worried about the kids 10 years from now. I know. 
Me too. Like, uh, so one thing I remember pre-pandemic is like there was a constant struggle in like feminist spheres about whether it was okay to like take your kids into like general adult um, socialising situations, say like cafes Mm. and the pubs and that sort of thing. Mm. And I would say most of my friends who have children are very comfortable doing that because – it's treating children like people, like little people. They're just there to yeah. socialise. They're there to talk to people, not in any sort of patronising way, just talking to adults in the same way as they would talk to other kids their age. And it's great. As long as it's not an unsafe situation, yeah. great. Like it's, yeah. it's just really cultivating that sort of, again, like I said before, it takes a village to raise kids in that way. And I just mm. think it's like a wonderful thing. And the fact that that doesn't exist now is already hard enough without people being such a bitch about it. Come on, someone's drawing chalk (laughs) on the footpath and you're having a whine about it? Like, fucking hell. Also, like, where's your soul? Like, if if you're driving down the footpath, driving down the footpath, if you're walking down the footpath and you see that some kid has drawn out a hopscotch thing, just do the fucking hopscotch. (laughs) What's the matter (laughs) with you? (laughs) I was on a walk with my partner the other day and we saw that somebody had had written a thing on the sidewalk that was just like a big forward arrow and said turbo Uh, on it. Fuck yeah, yeah. we started running when we hit that. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) As if you wouldn't. It's a turbo boost. The analogy that I want to draw for this is it's a lot like what we've done with nature where people live in a city for their whole lives and they get used to every lawn being mowed and there's no rats or bugs anywhere and they go, this is normal. And when they go somewhere and there is a messy lawn or they see a bee or a (laughs) weird looking bird, they freak out because they go, this is not normal. No, this is normal. You've lived your whole life in an abnormally unhealthy environment and that's why the bees are dying. (laughs) So despite all of the very simple solutions that we seem to have, like McLean, you said, we found the solution last year, only a few months ago, and it worked, and then we've stopped <laughs> doing it. Um, VCAT, which is the Victorian Civil and Administrative Tribunal, which is essentially like our petty grievance court, have <laughs> absolutely screwed the pooch on this. They have fucked up in such a massive way, um, and don't let anyone from any other group tell you otherwise. <laughs> but essentially, VCAT have ruled that um, people that have accrued a debt while renting, so renters that have accrued a debt to their landlord between March 2020 and 2021, where you remember there was a fucking pandemic and an eviction moratorium, can be evicted. Landlords can now evict people if they have accrued a debt during that time. And in the same decision, have also ruled that landlords can't start asking for that debt back and start claiming it in court to get it paid back until October 25th this year, which is like two months away. So, what they have done is looked at a renter in a situation who has not been able to pay rent for a year and a half in some instances and gone, yep, that debt that you accrued then still applies. The landlord can try to get it back from you from October 25th and right now you have to be evicted. Wait, so they can evict you after October or they can evict you No, they can evict you right now. They can evict you right now and then later this year, the landlords can come after you for that fucking debt. And that debt stands to the point where if you try to go for a rental property, they can see that you have a rental debt. And so you cannot get a fucking rental property as easily as you could. But it's all good, though, because now landlords can evict people during a pandemic. That doesn't make any sense. It's fucked, isn't it? It's almost as if our entire economic system is based on making sure that property owners and landlords get paid first and last in every situation. 
Yeah. Just to quick um, mention, when I mentioned the thing about snitching on parents and kids before, um, there have been a lot of complaints to like body corporate and strata about kids making noise to the point where they've been sending notices to people that they will be evicted if their children make noise. Because people aren't used to kids being home. This is something, McLean, that you said ages ago that uh, you said it much more succinctly at the time, and I can't remember how you said it, (laughs) but essentially landlords extract wealth by threat of eviction. That is what they do. And so the reason why landlords have been so fucking worried about the eviction moratorium and have been like ostensibly just acting extremely evil the entire time being like, please let us evict people again. It's because that's how they get money from people. The threat of eviction is how they extract wealth. And it, like, so this case as well, it's just, I just, I just want to scream about it. I have a microphone in front of me and have wanted to fucking scream about this case all fucking week because the details are disgusting. The person that is up for eviction and having to have their uh, pay back their debt was an Uber driver who lost work during the pandemic. She racked mm-hmm. up about 12.5K of debt and is now being evicted. She has two pets, so crisis accommodation is going to be extremely hard. Also, that debt remains, so landlords will be able to see that um, on, on her applications when she goes to try to get a rental property. And the owners that are trying to evict her will have successfully evicted her own three townhouses and a villa. They have a massive portfolio. They've got to get value out of those, though, right? (laughs) That's important. (laughs) That's an essential service. I saw a good little landlord's aphorism the other day that was um, landlords provide housing like scalpers provide concert tickets. Oh, Oh, man. That's that's the thing. of like They have to extract wealth out of it, don't they? No! It's townhouses and a villa. People can live in them. Hmm. So anyone who supports them in in that claim is just automatically pinging off my like like oddly evil radar. Like the Real Estate Institute of Victoria, <laughs> everyone involved in there can fuck off, and I do not care how nice they might be or how nice they are in person. Just the most craven, horrible people going into bat for fucking landlords mm. during a pandemic. Um, fucking yeah. Chief Exec Gil King of the Real Estate Institute of Victoria um, uh, said that a new moratorium would spell disaster for rental providers who have still not recovered any losses from the previous moratorium and likely never will. Oh, oh no. no. Fair thought for the rental providers. Yeah. But, right? Like, what about bloody casual workers who've never recovered any losses and never will? No, fuck them. Yeah. The casual renter can certainly come up with $12,000 on short notice right now or face homelessness. Easy. That's not spelling disaster. Spelling disaster is looking at a balance sheet and being like, Oh, no, if this keeps going down, I'll have to sell one of my houses Mm. and receive hundreds of thousands of dollars for it. This is the thing as well. The Real Estate Institute of Victoria, have they've actually said that is a, that is a, a risk that they might have to sell out, and we don't right. and we don't want that because that'll put more pressure on the on the rental supply. Uh, or or really. someone could live in the house, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Fucks. It's like what I want to see. Okay, yeah, sure. Your landlords, they're having a tough time. They're low on money. People aren't paying them. You know what they should do? They should go on strike. I want landlords to go on strike and <laughs> yeah. stop providing the services that they provide um, <laughs> and see how long it takes for people to give any shit at all. <laughs> well, I mean, this this is the things that I keep coming back to with this sort of shit is that like, one, the, the Rev uh, talking about like how we need to balance out A, somebody's home and also B, somebody's investment, which often will affect their own lifestyle as well. 
anyone else in the stock market doesn't get this type of like guaranteed return that they can then cry about to the government and go like, but my mm. investment portfolio, it did. I lost all my money. It's like, yeah, because you invested in fossil fuels in 2021, dipshit. But also people don't lose their money. With the property investment, yes. that is like, if you're if you're not making rent, or if that's putting financial stress, you literally can just sell the house mm. and get the money for the house in your bank account, and now you have lots of money. The the, the downside of being a landlord is not like, oh no, you know, I, I'm worried about my rental income com- coming down. You know, I'm I'm going to be broke. It's like you're not going to be broke because you still have a very valuable asset that you can sell at any time. Mm. You, I you, love- just, you still always have that. Oh, but then I won't be a landlord anymore. Good. <laughs> I love when people, like, whenever you suggest that to them as, like, selling one of their 10 houses, they're like, oh, but how am I going to sell it in this market? Do you know how mm. high house prices mm. are right now and all these fuckwits are just buying houses in between themselves? They're just selling it to each other. Every sort of quoted price that's in, like, all these house listing sites is always, like, 300k less than it actually sells for all of you rich fucks are just buying it anyway so just sell your house if it's really that important to you also when people are like oh how can i sell it in this market hey sell it for less Mm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah sell it for less you'll sell it really quickly if you need the money just sell it for less oh but then i won't have made as much return on my investment hey you just said you were broken that you needed money Mm. sell your asset at a less price so that you can get the money now it's it's so straightforward Oh, but then I would have lost points in the real estate game. My victory points, guys. I can't be risking my victory points. No, my victory points are very important. That's why my renter needs to go out on the street and be homeless so that I can feel like I have a good trophy. I just always need to remind everyone listening to, like, like we say, kill the cop in your head. Kill the real estate agent in your head as well that forgets at any point that this investment, quote unquote, that we're talking about is someone's fucking home. Mm. This is where people live. That equivalence there of like, oh, it's someone's home, but it's someone's investment as well. It's like, yeah. oh, w- what's more important, someone having a home or an investment? Oh, who can say? Me, anyone. <laughs> a home is more important. Yeah. You're, you're really just, you're buying and selling. It's, it's, I don't want to say you're buying and selling people's lives because we made that illegal in the mid 1800s, but it's the closest <laughs> thing you can do. You're buying and selling the thing that people need to live. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to bring this up, I mean, for a lot of reasons, but one of them just being that you need to remember that these people exist and they say these things out loud and that they are also voting. So, your political apathy is 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 not- <laughs> It's it's being met with activism from these types of people, like they're the president. They're not voting. They're in government. They are also in government. They're also lobbying governments. They're also making the rules for these sort of things. Like the fucking the president of the Rev, um, Lee Kalnan, had appeared on the Law Review podcast on ABC, which is a good podcast. Shout out to them. Um, but just said some of the most horrendous things that just sort of like. I got so angry that all of my individual atoms just sort of vibrated apart. Like I just <laughs> shook myself into pieces with like, like we were talking about the, the, the case of the Uber driver um, when, and, and, and it was brought up that the owners that tried to get them evicted and succeeded um, own three townhouses and a villa. And, and Lee Kalnan said that, yeah, they do have multiple properties. Um, but what we seem to forget is that the rental payments go towards funding the mortgage payments of those properties. Mm-hmm. And? <laughs> and? As if that's the, the end of the argument. Because 
the people who are renting can afford a house. <laughs> that's just <laughs> that's the thing. If yeah. your rental payments are paying someone else's mortgage payments, mm. then it's demonstrable that you can afford mortgage payments. You just couldn't get that house because houses are a limited supply. Another fucking quote that was amazing was uh, she went, you know, and I know I'll probably sound heartless to a degree, but it is not fair for somebody to remain living in a property where they're not contributing to the rental payments. Oh. Get oh. fucked. <laughs> yeah, you do sound heartless. <laughs> yes, you do. Are we the baddies? It's, it, it's, you sound heartless. Lang, as, in addition to Isaac, you're an award-winning game designer. Mm. Um, can you just weigh in very briefly? Have you ever encountered a situation when you're designing a game where you've got one mechanic that you're putting together and you're like, that seems fair, and then you test the game mm. and it turns out that it really doesn't work at all? Yeah, I once had a game mechanic that forced people to die on the streets. Um, <laughs> and we took that out pretty quickly. <laughs> this this thing of like, oh, this particular component, it'd be unfair if we changed it in, in, in her thing. <laughs> oh, you know, it's somebody else's lifestyle. It's somebody else's, you know, it might, it might be unfair unfair when they're not contributing like mm. you can look at any individual thing and make judgments on whether it's fair or not but that's just a little theory when you zoom out you can just immediately see whether it's really fair or unfair yeah like the, the, the individual moves don't matter if people are getting out on the street like th that's unfair yeah it was also easily solved by the fact that i remembered that rules are made up and i decide them. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah yeah every every time this shit comes up it's just like landlords are just like parasitic middlemen in this society and i do not understand like so much of the stress that is happening with the fucking lockdown protests and stuff as well when you talk when you hear about like businesses are really stressed and they don't know how they're going to make ends meet a big part of that is because they don't know how they're going to pay their fucking commercial rent. Which is like, why are they having to pay commercial rent? Why can't the landlord take the fucking hit? We're in a global pandemic. The shops have shut down. The shops should stay there for when they can open again, as opposed to going fucking vacant. Then yeah. you've got this idea of like, but I, I worked really hard before the pandemic to buy three townhouses and a villa. Why should I miss out on getting some, on, on why should I struggle financially? And the reason why you should struggle financially is because if you struggle financially a little bit, someone can stay in their fucking home mm. during a pandemic. You can't. I think there's also sort of two meanings of struggle there, where it's like, mm. why should I be the one that struggles financially instead of this person or, or, or whatever? That is like, struggle means different things. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if, if you're a real estate investor and you're struggling financially, doing air quotes here on my podcast, struggling financially, <laughs> that means, you know, oh, you're having to make some tough decisions about which assets to keep and where to redistribute your blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, oh, we might have to send the kids to a slightly less expensive private school, that sort of thing. Like, the struggle for you is not the struggle of having to choose between food, shelter, and medical expenses. Yeah. Like, th they're different. They're fundamentally different things hmm. when people say like oh why am i struggling instead of you they're, they're, they're different things that's why i think um this quote from the president of the reiv lee kalman is quite good where she says do not my friends become addicted to shelter <laughs> uh, <laughs> just to round out the episode this week as well something i wanted to touch on um is just the fucking disgusting craven 
evil, malicious rhetoric used by the federal government in relation to asylum seekers coming from Afghanistan mm. at the moment. Oy, um, oy, oy. For our international listeners, um, in the 1980s, there was a group called <laughs> Mujahideen. And the- <laughs> Oh, <laughs> we're not going in we're not going into all of that sort of shit but you would have you would have heard that uh coalition troops have pulled out of afghanistan and the whole thing is a shit show and now people are obviously trying to leave because the taliban are bad and mm-hmm. we clearly have a, a responsibility to thousands, tens of thousands of, of, of Afghan translators and workers and people that just were, had their lives ruined by Australia and who we should take in. They are refugees and they are refugees that we created ourselves. Mm. And so Scott Morrison and Peter Dutton have taken this opportunity to to produce rhetoric that shows that they're fucking strong on borders again and that uh, Scott Morrison Yeah, now's the time, guys. Scott Morrison has come out when when Canada has and the UK have said that they're going to be taking in 20,000 Afghan refugees. When it's looking like America is going to try to resettle 30,000 of them, Scott Morrison has come out and said those who are IMAs, those who have not come to Australia the right way and are on temporary visas in Australia, they will not be offered permanent residence in Australia. That will not change. The right way. Are you fucking kidding me? At it's the board of an oil company. Just the-, <laughs> the right way to come to Australia is to fucking come out of a white woman's vagina. It's mm. just, <laughs> just that same fucking rhetoric over and over from like for the last 10 years of just like if you come by boat you won't be resettled in australia there's a right way to do it and the right way involves like going to embassies that i'm sure the taliban will just instantly set up just this idea of like we will not be allowing people to enter australia uh, illegally even at this time it is not illegal to seek asylum i mean this isn't out of pattern because every asylum seeker that comes here is legitimately seeking asylum, just yes. like these ones are. And so for him to be like, oh, these ones are special, would be hypocritical, but also fuck him. Yeah, it's just, there is nothing about this rhetoric that is different from the last 10 years. They're still saying seeking asylum is illegal when it isn't. They are still refusing to treat humans like humans. But just the political opportunism to come out while Afghanistan is fucking crumbling to go up, 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 up. We're really racist. Please vote for us. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget. Also, like, Kevin Rudd can fuck off as well. He's like, oh, yeah, we, we should offer asylum to these people and all the interpreters that we, that we trained and everything. It's like, yeah, you were the one who said all of you will be turned back if you try coming here. Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, you will not be resettled in Australia. The other thing that I saw was um, Peter Dutton, who definitely has a skin lamp in his basement, said <laughs> that, like, um, you know, the, the, these people, Af- the Afghani people, change allegiance. Every, every now and then. And so we can't just bring all these people over here because, you know, some of them might actually be working for the Taliban and some of them might actually be anti-Australian at this time. And if I did that, I would be criticised. Why? I don't give a fuck what you think about yourself and your political position. What the fuck are you talking about? You're also being criticised now. You clearly don't care. You're racist. <laughs> I know this is a really dark thing to say, but... Even if in the really wild circumstance that we somehow let in someone who did change allegiance and decided to like bomb Australia or something, I kind of think at this point we deserve it. 
<laughs> we've treated all of these people terribly. For sure. <laughs> we created this thing. And this is the thing. Anyone who comes into the country could be a good person or a shit people. People who are born here are obviously mm. shit people all the time. Yeah, we-, we talk about the neo-Nazis earlier. <laughs> oh, sure. I, I sure hope that a, like a religious or racial extremist doesn't uh, arrive in Australia. Oh, we've, we've got plenty. Thanks. Fuck off. We're full. Yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah, these Afghan refugees are fucking neo-Nazis at the lockdown protests. <laughs> yeah. Every time you bring in a fossil fuel executive, are you worried they might turn on you? Like, how does this only apply to people who have explicitly been our allies in an ongoing war? And and he's saying, oh, yeah, they're wonderful people who've supported us in some... At, at, you know, over the last 10 years. and But now, you know, they might have gone on to work for the Taliban. They're acting out against their allies. Um, he's, he's assuming that people who have been our allies are now working against us because we turned our back on them and they're brown or something. Yeah, fundamentally, his whole thing is like, oh, I know that it's good to accept refugees, but have you considered that maybe they deserve it a bit? Oh, Here's God. this fucking quote from Dutton, that this is just like... Lang, to your point of just how fucking evil Peter Dutton is. Uh, This quote is, There are some wonderful people who have supported us at a point in time 10 years ago, and they've now gone on to work for the Taliban, they're working for Al-Qaeda, they're acting against our allies and their allegiances have shifted. They've done that for survival or for their own purposes, their own intents, but we're not bringing those people to our country. Mm-hmm. They've wow. done that for survival, but we're not bringing those people to our country. Well, oh my fucking god! Anyone who didn't yeah. fucking hate Australia before in Afghanistan <laughs> certainly will now. So nice work. Yeah, I'm worried that some of these refugees will have been forced to work for the Taliban under the threat of death, and and that for me is a betrayal that's too far to to, to mm. accept. Isn't it? It's it's, it's absolutely fucked. And, and and like it's just it it's worth keeping in mind that Australia hasn't actually always been this entirely decrepit when it comes to refugees. Yeah. Um, after we lost the <laughs> Vietnam War, Malcolm Fraser authorised the immigration of more than 55,000 Vietnamese um, from Indian Ocean refugee camps. There were boat people, quote-unquote, then that the Australian Defence Force took off of those boats and brought directly to Australia. Um, Hawke did something similar for Chinese nationals in the wake of the Tiananmen Square massacre. And even fucking Tony Abbott announced that he would take in a in hindsight, measly, 12,000 Syrian and Iraq refugees in 2015 when the fighting there got really intense. Even Tony fucking Abbott had enough gumption to go, oh, we should have some amount of refugee intake above normal. I- imagine yeah. being in the Labor Party and Tony Abbott being to the left of you on refugees. <laughs> that, that rules. Uh, it, the, the larger point I was going to say, though, is like I keep repeating this every time we bring up um, Australia's stance on refugees within the context of what's currently happening with Australia's borders is that refugees were always the canary in the coal mine for anything mm. that happens to Australian citizens. Any yeah. sort of terrible thing that the Australian government wants to test out as to the limits of movement and treatment of their citizens, they will test it out on refugees first. And that is perfectly playing out now in that Australians cannot leave or enter even though that is our right as citizens. Um on the on the basis of COVID, even though there is ways to do that safely to allow people to come home in any sort of circumstance. So, yeah. you know, like this is just all our chickens coming home to roost in that how we have treated all these people so horribly, both mm. in going to war, in a war that we should not have been in in the first place, and then 
having the gall to make refugees that have to come and mm. seek asylum and then yeah. treating them so horribly. Yeah, and then not taking them. Yeah. Like creating creating rafts of asylum seekers that deserve our fucking protection and regardless of whether it was our fault or not, but it fucking was, and then going, no, I'm still the mean-spirited evil cunt I was when you voted for me, and that's good, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry you came here on a boat, and we all know that that is a cardinal sin. Yeah, I, I really hope it's a, it's a fucking, it's a prayer that will go out into the ether and not, not result in anything, but I just fucking hope that every single person in the federal, liberal, and Labor government just really have horrible times for the rest of their lives trying to sleep, trying to eat, trying to enjoy barbecues, just with the guilt that's weighing on them. I know it fucking won't. I know that they only have those like fucking overgrown lizard brains that just keep their cold blood pumping through their bodies and they don't have any real empathy, but fuck, I hope they feel it. When they think about what they've fucking done to these people for 20 years, every successive government has been involved in making sure that the problems in Afghanistan were always going to come back here and that they are responsible for the suffering of these fucking people. I hope they fucking suffer themselves trying to function as human beings in this society and separate to that and unrelated and parody. I hope they fucking choke. I, I might close on this wish, but there's a, I, <laughs> I'm going to say it. That sort of wish for suffering is like cop mindset hmm. and it's not very rehabilitative of you. Um, has anyone seen Never Ending Story 2? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Fuck them. The the uh, the the villain of that one is this evil sorceress and uh, Bastion. Spoilers for Never Ending Story. Yeah, Bastion, I haven't watched it yet. Man. Uh, at the uh, at the end of that, uh, uses the 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 magical medallion to wish that Zaida had a heart, mm. and it's this amazing moment, Ooh. my favorite moment in all of cinema, where the villain is just like thanks to his wish, suddenly confronted with all of the crimes and the sort of amount of hurt that she's inflicted on people, where before she was like completely sort of heartless, and she just like stops in her tracks and like a single tear rolls down her face and then she explodes and <laughs> it's amazing. And whenever I sort of okay. struggle with like, oh, I I wish that the suffering that these people has inflicted have inflicted gets inflicted upon them. I want a revenge sort of punishment situation. I, I, I think about Zaida and the end of Neverending Story 2 and how that just has always sat with me as the true ultimate punishment of just mm. like, I wish more than anything that Scott Morrison and Peter Dutton and etc. just get fully and unambiguously confronted with exactly the hurt that they have done to other people and the harm that they've inflicted on the world without any anything else. Just I want them to know that they're bad. I love that. I, mean, I really yeah, like that. I can I can I can I can make that fit into my framework where I also hope that that <laughs> then causes suffering. So you don't have to go with me that extra step. Um, but no, I you, mean, you Mitch, are imagine I if you were them. just today confronted with an unambiguous fact that you were worse for the world for being mm. in it. And no other punishment, <laughs> just that knowledge. Dude, we're recording a podcast right now. I am fully aware. <laughs> <laughs> and then you explode. Yeah, I w I'm happy. I'm happily on board with like the first step and the last step for Dutton and Morrison. So for sure, I can get. I can get behind it 100, McLean. Like, yeah, I do. I, I hope they're confronted with it. I hope they have a crisis mm. of conscience. I hope that it. I hope that they have to think about it. I hope it weighs on them. I hope that they they know what they've done. Because what yeah. they've done is 
unconscionable. It is it is fucking evil, and it's it's so easy for us, especially in the last two years, to really focus on matters closer to home, as we've done. The coronavirus has really sort of like pushed international affairs outside of our purview, um, and 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 like it's pushed it outside of our normal sort of frame of reference, even when it shouldn't. Like there are some things that obviously we can't be across all the time and it's fucking exhausting and it will wear you down. But there are things that Australia is directly fucking doing that we have managed to sort of ignore for a while. And at the very fucking least, I really hope that the politicians that are using this for political game, like you said, McLean, look at this and go, ah, fuck, I suck. I am the worst. bad person. I think... I think that's an interesting thing, and it's it's obviously, you know, the purview of this podcast is Australian stuff, and so we don't cover international stuff, you know, on purpose most of the time. But it's it's that thing where we're always saying, you know, we're you only survive as a community. You, you got to join with our commu- community. You got to have unions and work together and push for push for change um, and build a better you know country and a better world. Um, and that also applies like. Australia needs to be part of a community of countries. This whole mm. fucking planet lives or dies together. Um, that's a bigger picture than this podcast usually covers. Um, <laughs> but I think it's something to think about. Look, all I'm going to say is Australia's going to get its just desserts when we end up being climate refugees. That's all I'll say. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. I hope that the only boat that Peter Dutton can get out of climate-destroyed Australia goes to Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> And that they treat him well there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Not Good Enough. The best thing that you can do for us is tell your friends. I mean, obviously the best thing you can do for us is get these bastards out of power. (laughs) For the podcast. The best thing you can do for the podcast. (laughs) Which is like medium on our list of priorities. (laughs) (laughs) The best thing you can do in general. Get these bastards out of power. Tell your friends about Not Good Enough. Number three, rate and review us. Number four, volunteer your time at Food Bank Victoria. That's yeah. that's the ranking. Yeah, get get on the on the podcast sites and and leave us nice things. Um, if you have any questions or comments, you can you can send it to us at our email, which is um, what are we not good not good pod at protonmail.com. Not good pod at protonmail.com. Um, and uh, we're or on, on all, all the, the socials. socials at not good pod. Sorry, I, uh, you're taking too long. Okay. I thought I would jump in. Fucking hell! I didn't. I was mess. like, is he going to get to the socials? I, I was, hope he gets to the I socials. And we're on all the socials at Not Good Pod. Not Good Enough was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders and sovereignty was never ceded.